Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Good morning to you on a day where we're being advised to batten down the hatches and unless you need to go out, I would be staying indoors if you're lucky enough to have to go absolutely nowhere today, Monday, and maybe you're still in the Laba, then uh, snuggle down under that duvet and stay right where you are. It is a miserable uh, day out there. At least all the children are home from a school. So there, even though some of the parents will say, why are you saying that? We can't. They can't get outside the door on a day like today. And it is going to be what they're describing as a roller coaster week of wedding. We've got this weather, we've got this very heavy rain, high winds for today. Some of the heavy rain is going to lead to a flooding. But then as we move across the week, heading towards Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday, we can expect highs in some area for Easter Sunday of 23 degrees. If we were getting 23 degrees, in the middle of June or July, we will be saying what a wonderful warm summer's day we have. So we may have it for next Sunday, for Easter Sunday, which certainly is some good news. So we just in the meantime have to put up with the bad weather for the beginning half of the week and then it's going to get brighten up and get better as we head into the week. Met Aaron today have issued no fewer than four weather warnings today. They have a status orange and a status yellow rainfall warning covering parts of us here in the south parts of the west have it as well and there's two status yellow wind warnings for other parts of the country they're saying gusts today could be up to 110 kilometres per hour that's going to lead to flooding it's also by the way going to lead to dangerous driving conditions and we've already had a couple of calls in this morning from people saying when they've been out driving it's kind of dark out there as well and the people are driving without having their their lights on in the car so you need to light up with the and slow down obviously there's a lot of surface water on the roads as well and then from the middle of the week from about Wednesday it starts to change it's going to get more settled we're going to see the thermometer rise it's going to get more more mild from Wednesday on and then as we say peaking on Sunday with what could be for Easter Sunday 23 degrees. Bring it on. We will certainly take that. John Paul has taken your calls this morning. 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us this morning, we would love to hear from you. Or if you would like to text or WhatsApp the programme, you can 0862-103-103. Your thoughts, um, please, and comments on John Delaney and the John Delaney saga. And will John Delaney be departing the FAI today? Is today the day? Day, the final day for uh, John Delaney. Now he did 
speak to some of his friends. I think it was on Friday he started to tweet and message. Well, not tweet, he started to private message. I'm wrong to say he tweeted. He started to private message and called some of his friends to say that on Friday he attended his resignation to the FAI. And this is as the role of executive vice president, this new role that he's only been in for about two weeks at this stage. He attended that to the board, but the board said they'll take a look at it and they will get back to him with their verdict on him tendering his resignation and that they will do that after the meeting that they're having today. So he started telling people, you know, so you're thinking, OK, I've made the decision. Board just have to ratify, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's uh, and all of that. But uh, I'm gone. I'm leaving and I've made this decision. Now, it seems some of the FAI board members are absolutely furious with John Delaney for sending those messages out and for talking to some of his friends and then some of his friends decided to go public. There was one man particularly in from the League of Ireland in Kerry who went public and started talking about exactly the text messages he'd received, the phone calls he'd received and what John Delaney had said and how John Delaney was feeling about tendering his resignation. So the FAI board absolutely furious because, of course, by doing this, John Delaney is clever, but by getting the word out first that he decided to tender his uh, resignation, it's therefore then in the public eye, he's taking the lead on his exit. It isn't the board of the FAI telling him he has to go. It's John Delaney saying, well, I got there before you. I'm telling you I want to leave. So you can imagine why some of them are absolutely furious. And of course, then the sports minister, Shane Ross, he very much upped the ante at the weekend. He started talking about the capital sports grants. There is a hundred million euro to go out in national sports grants, of which a slice of that will go to the FAI. The FAI have now been told you know, while there's governance issues at the board, you're not going to get any of that money. We already know that Sports Ireland are withholding their funding, but now the sports minister coming in saying the capital grants, you're not going to get a slice of that. And capital grants already, the Aviva Stadium, for example, for the Euro 2020, they need five million of a grant to come from that that capital sports grant. But let's bring it a little bit closer to home. There is 10 million funding that they're hoping that the powers that be are hoping to get from that wave of grants to go to 10 million of it to go to the Centre of Excellence at Glanmire here in Cork. So the knock on is we could be affected by this. And actually that Centre of Excellence in Glanmire was raised at the Oireachtas Committee meeting last week by Kevin O'Keefe. He actually, he brought that up and started saying, what about us in Cork? Are we going to get our money? Well, the sports minister, Shane Ross, came out of the weekend and I said, unless the FAI get their act together, they can forget about getting any money under the sports, the capital sports uh, grant. So you would take from that as well, wouldn't you, that a complete clear out of the board is what is needed at this stage. I mean, I, I'm in confidence. We now, something now needs to be done to try to restore confidence in the FAI. There doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence in it. And then we had what happened here in uh, Cork was absolutely disgraceful. What happened at the match in Cork on, was it Friday night when the in Turner's Cross when some of the fans decided to unfurl the banner saying Delaney out and we'd seen banners like that at many other League of Ireland matches but the Stuarts moved in now I don't know who told the Stuarts 
to move in and to remove the banner and also the stewards requested the Gardaí to come and help them and then of course as we know one man was ejected from the stadium. That man just happened to be Sinn Féin Cork North Central TD Jonathan O'Brien who coincidentally was a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Sports. He was one of the people who was trying to ask questions of John Delaney last Wednesday and lo and behold he's the man that gets turfed out at Turner's Cross. Now I know it's all since got sorted out and the powers that be at Turner's Cross say you know he shouldn't have been um, kicked out and he was allowed back in and I know I heard on the news John uh, Jonathan O'Brien is not saying anything more he's not adding anything to what he initially said on Saturday when he spoke about what happened at, uh, at Turner's Cross but it's Shameful to think that a group of supporters who go along to a match who are the people, they're the bread and butter of of the League of Ireland. They're the ones that pay in every week. And if they are not happy about something, the only way that they can show the world, they can show their protest by not turning up. But these guys are willing to go along and pay their money and go. And they unfurl a banner. And for this, for that, what happened to happen uh, is just wrong. It's there is to quote Shakespeare. There's something, there's something something rotten in the state of Denmark. Anyway, a lot will unfold from the FAI. If it will unfold while we're on air, I don't know. I don't know what time they're to meet at. But it is expected that we are to finally hear that John Delaney is gone from the FAI. So we're going to be discussing it later on on the program. And we have uh, managed to get Mark Ty to join us on the program. Mark Ty is the journalist with the Sunday Times that we can all be thankful to. He has done a great service for sport and for soccer for this country because he was the man who first broke this story. He was the one, you will remember, who had the original story back on the, I think it was the 23rd, 24th of March. Isn't that long ago? Isn't even a month ago now when the story first broke of the €100,000 loan that John Delaney said was a bridging loan to the FAI. We still haven't got to the bottom of that. We still don't know really what was going on there with that €100,000 loan. But certainly John Delaney didn't want the story to get out. And he tried to take out not just an injunction against the Sunday Times, but a super injunction. And of course, the super injunction means you can't even talk about an injunction. That luckily failed. And then Mark Ty was able to publish his story and has every Sunday since published more stories, including yesterday's which was the story of the credit cards. This was jaw-dropping, some of the figures that came out from this. And it was as he, Mark Ty got the, what looks like the credit card receipts, the credit card statements for six months of the company credit card that John Delaney was using back in 2016. And it was just incredible. 40,000, I think, was spent in just six months. We'll speak with Mark Ty on the programme a little bit later on, but your thoughts welcomed on the entire John Delaney story. Where do we go from here? Where does the FAI go from here? We are also going to be talking about the story that broke over the weekend of people sleeping in their cars. Up to 100 people slept in their cars. Why were they sleeping in their cars? They were sleeping in their cars because they were queuing out overnight to try to be one of the first in the line to buy a house at a property development in Balancholic. The latest wave of houses were released at the weekend and these are, and I'm assuming young couples 
so desperate to buy their own house that they felt they'd no other choice but to camp out overnight uh, in a car. I mean, you think back to the time of the Celtic Tiger when people were talking about we are we are heading for a property bubble when some of the economists were being laughed at and were being told you're scaremongering that will never happen. Invest in property. Nothing can go wrong in property. And we have people literally queuing out overnight and for days. I remember people doing it during the Celtic Tiger and it almost became the norm. We stopped reporting on it, certainly as a media, because any time a group of houses went up for sale, that's what would happen. You'd have people queuing up outside. But we haven't seen it in quite some years and now we're back again and you're kind of thinking, have we learned any lessons from the Celtic Tiger and also looking at the way housing prices are increasing. I don't know what the answer is. And for the people who queued up, you know, I can understand why they queued up if they're desperate to buy a house. And these are people who are probably paying more in rent than they would be paying if they owned their own house. And for many, they see rent as dead money. They can be paying you know, certainly um, in some cases you can pay double what you would pay, be paying on a mortgage. You could be paying in a rent, which seems just uh, crazy for those people. They, they are desperately trying to get on the property ladder. So, yes, I absolutely can understand why someone would decide to pack up the car and say, OK, that's what we're going to do for Friday night. We're going to camp out overnight in the car in the hope that we can secure one of those uh, houses. We'll talk about that. Also hearing from Cork County Council, they have decided to follow the lead of the Cork City Council and they've passed the bylaws which will now allow the bin police to go door to door and to call to the homes of people in the county. If you don't have a curbside collection, if you don't have a regular bin collection, the local authorities can send in officials that we are calling the bin police and knock on your door to say, uh, how do you get rid of your rubbish? You're going to have to prove, you're going to have to have evidence as to what you do with your rubbish and of course it's all been done to try to stop people disposing of their rubbish illegally and to try to stop fly tipping and we want people to remember the summer of 1985 what was important about the summer of 1985 it was the summer that statues started to move all over the country I think did I read it the weekend was there 70 different Statues or 70 different areas where people were claiming to either see apparitions or to see statues move. Of all of the statues that moved around the country, that one that probably gained the most attention was one of our own and that was the one in Ballinspittal. And tonight there is a television documentary remembering 1985 and I think for the for a younger generation to sit down and watch it, I think they will be quite taken aback by the whole country was gripped by the phenomena that was moving statues. If you have a memory of the moving statues, did you go to one in particular? Did you see the statue move? For example, did you not believe in it at all, but did you get caught up with it? Did you go along anyway to see some of the moving statues? And as I say, we'll talk in advance of a documentary that's going to air tonight. It's Monday, so that means Annalise DeSalle will join us from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. Some of your texts in Morris said, did Deputy Kevin O'Keefe ask John Delaney any questions? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Well, I said the Oireachtas Committee meeting last week and even any of the TDs who did try to probe with a question, as we all know, they didn't get very far because John Delaney on legal advice. 
advice was told not to answer any questions. Thanks uh, for that, Morris. And a texter says, you mentioned people queuing to buy a house. Well, I'm fearful. Is the bubble back? It wouldn't surprise me. We're going through a boom in agriculture and we're seeing a lot of snobbery from this government in a way. They seem to be targeting the money towards the larger farmer, the bigger farms, and therefore that's creating a bubble. So is the property is it the property market they're targeting now? One would be very worried about it. Okay, we're going to be talking about that um, about quarter past, twenty past eleven uh, today, looking at the fact that so many people were queuing up in Ballincollig at the weekend to try to buy houses. We're going to take a very quick break and we're back looking at new bylaws to do with the collection of rubbish which have been introduced by Cork County Council. Now, new waste bylaws have been passed by Cork County Council to allow local authority workers to ask householders for proof of their waste disposal in order to ensure that they're not illegally dumping. The new rules are similar to the ones adopted by the City Council last month. And joining me with her reaction, Independent Councillor Marcia Dalton. Good morning to you, Marcia. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe these bylaws will help to stop some of the illegal dumping that is going on? That's one of the aims, yes. Of Well, that's one of the aims of the bylaws. Um, these these are nationally produced. So there was almost a presumption that we would introduce them at local authority level. We were allowed to have little nuances when we were bringing them through. But they came to us and they would have come to Cork City too from the Southern Region Waste Management Office. Um, and of course, the idea is traceability. Traceability from cradle to grave on waste to make sure that the householder is doing what the householder should do and that which is responsible. Do I think that they will make a difference personally? Um, I am not so sure. Look, anything that tackles any illegal dumping is a good thing. Mm. Um, It's hideous. It's selfish um, behaviour. It it spoils the environment for everybody. But um, I have been part of the policy group at County Council which has been considering these and so I've put quite a lot of thought into how they may be effective. And I have had reactions from the public when I've gone out about the bylaws to them when they were at proposal stage. And some of the reaction was um, grateful, I have to say, to be honest. Some people said that's great, you know, anything that helps tackle the scourge of illegal dumping is a good thing. And then others came back saying, Okay, well, what happens when my mother is using my bin, which she does because she lives on her own, so she's got no trail to show that she's correctly and responsibly disposing of her waste. Um, I would have had the same from people who had allowed elderly, again, neighbours living on their own to use their bins. Um, And then I've had a number of people say, well, somebody can call at my door, and if I can't show the receipts to say that I'm disposing of my waste correctly, then I am guilty until proven innocent. And that's not right. There are ways of getting around them. I, I worry that the heavy waste, the nappies and things like that, which might go into the bin, could be disposed of in a wrong way when the bin is presented for collection. So all in all, I suppose the effort is a fair one to try to tackle illegal dumping. But is it going to be enough? I don't think so, Patricia. But I, yeah, but I on the, the just way. just on the on the knocking on, on an, you know an elderly lady's door who doesn't have her own bin, and as you say, she, then she she's using the neighbour's bin, or she goes to the daughter. All she has to do is you know get the neighbour to say, yeah, I take in Betty's rubbish yeah. every week, or the daughter comes and says, yeah, I take my mother's rubbish every week. You know, there are ways yeah. there are ways around it because certainly on this program over the years we would have heard from. 
people who were suggesting that the council should be calling to people's houses. People who live in housing estates, they see everybody putting out the bin every week and then they'll see one or two houses that don't put out bins. And they, they say they are the ones they know they're illegally dumping. But there's nobody checking up on what's number two doing because they don't put out bins, where are they going with their rubbish every week? Now, if you've nothing to fear, if you're genuinely disposing of your rubbish, you've nothing to, you've nothing to fear from these bylaws. That is correct. That is absolutely correct. You don't. And when people have come to me with that concern about, say, an elderly relative or neighbour, you've, you've just said exactly the advice I went to them. I'm sure that if your neighbour or your son or daughter who is taking your waste for you, write a little letter that you can have in the drawer should somebody call you can show them this letter and that's just fine. It's signed by them. Um, that's exactly what I'm recommending to them too. Though I, I still, it's a good thing, Patricia, and you're absolutely right in that if somebody is doing what they should do correctly, then they have nothing to fear. I myself used a home composting system well and have for many, many years. Um, and we got the brown bin delivered to us by my waste collector only a couple of weeks ago. And I wrote to them and I said, actually, I rang them first. And I said, look, I don't want the brown bin. Um, is it possible that I would have this brown bin taken back? Partly because I didn't want to have to pay for something and store something that I simply wasn't going to use. So the lady was very helpful. And she said, yes, I'll send you a letter. And if you don't want the bin, you'll need to sign this letter and um, send it back to us and we'll collect it. So she sent me the letter and the letter very clearly indicated that what I was signing for, which was to have my brown bin removed, would be returned to the local authority as part of their annual return. So the traceability clearly was going right back to the local authority and I would have signed the effect that I didn't want a brown bin collection. So I'm sure that if somebody calls to my door, they will ask to see what I'm doing with my organic waste because legislation says we must minimise our organic waste to, to, to landfill. And you will be able to show them? And I will be able to bring them in, invite them in and say, there's my compost bin. Feel free to open up and have a look. You know, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. If one is doing the right thing, one need not be afraid. Yeah. One of the big concerns that we had at policy level when we were discussing this was that there would be adequate enforcement. It's all very well to say that if you bring in bylaws, one needs to observe them. But part of those waste presentation bylaws, which we've had in the past, which is again repeated in these new bylaws, is that one will keep one's bins off the public street, which is sometimes a, a, a real scourge in smaller towns with narrow footpaths mm. when people don't. Um, but you'll present your bin only on the day of collection or the night before, but the lid is securely closed. I myself live in a housing estate and know that oftentimes that's not the case, that the bin blows over and there's litter everywhere. Um, and sometimes through no fault of the, the owner of the bin, you understand. But you'll get a day like, you'll get a day, I'm thinking of, bin, yeah. God help bin men out collecting bins on a day like today. There will be lids blown off all over the place. There will be lids blown off all over the place. But there are days, to be fair, Patricia, when there aren't days like today, when the weather isn't as windy as it is today. And the bin is chock-a-block full and the next bag on top and another one beside. Yeah. So we've we've had it in like So that, that won't be allowed anymore? It won't be, but Patricia, we've had it in legislation for years that it shouldn't be allowed, but and no, nobody's ever enforced yeah. it. And then, well, well, let's go back to that then, enforcement. I mean, will any of these, these bylaws are all well and good, but if they're not enforced, then you're wasting your time. This was one of the big issues at policy level when we were discussing it. Um, what we were assured by the Waste Management Office, by the Southern Region Waste Management Office, was that they would be working with the County Council 
to make sure that there was additional that there were additional resources allocated to the council such that they would be enforced. And all I can um all we can do is wait and see. But certainly yeah. it has been an issue from the outset that enforcement would be followed through on. If we're going to make bylaws we have to follow through. Absolutely, absolutely. But even after the boundary changes, I mean Cork County Council is the second biggest council in the country. A lot okay. of houses, a lot of area to cover. A lot of houses, it's always an issue. It's an issue with litter wardens. It's an issue with dog wardens. We're just a big county. Um, so, yeah, enforcement's going to be a huge issue. And as I say, we're assured that additional resources will be assigned to it. But until we see it, we just don't know. OK, somebody else, once again, whenever we're being up about bins, saying the council never should have stopped collecting rubbish when you privatised it. That's when all the real problems started. Personally, Patricia, I couldn't agree with that caller more. (laughs) Okay, I think a lot of councillors, I think a lot of councillors uh, feel like that. So when do these new bylaws come into force? They come into effect on the 1st of June. 1st of June, okay. All right, Um, and we will be, it'll be after the the local elections. Talking about the local elections, boundary changes, are you losing part of your area where you are in passage? Yeah, I am. I'm losing a lot, losing, losing quite a bit of it actually. Um, so previously my area would have stretched from Ballancolic to Carrigaline and included Douglas to Rochestown. So the new city boundary, I live in Passage West, as you know, the new city boundary will come right out to the boundary of Passage West. So I'm, I lose Ballancolic, Douglas, Rochestown, all those suburban areas where personally I would have done quite a lot of work and loved working with the residents there. But they are now going to the city. So hopefully it's onwards and upwards to those areas. The boundary has been Perhaps, I, I was going to say an issue, but perhaps that's a little strong. The people of Douglas, where I would have worked quite a lot, have become very familiar with dealing with two authorities, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would hope that in particular for Douglas Village, the change will be good. Douglas Village has suffered a lot in the past. It's become all about two shopping centres and the main street where I, I grew up in Douglas. That main street, which had such a village atmosphere long ago, doesn't it lost much of that you know there's a tremendous amount of vacancy and although the tidy towns groups and the local groups are still very vibrant they can't encourage businesses back into vacant buildings you know it's just beyond what they can achieve i'd love to see the city council take douglas under its wing as a project and work on a regeneration of that village okay it's down to the city and it would be great for douglas okay we'll leave it there uh marcia thank you for that and thanks for joining us Thanks. Uh, good morning to you. That is Council Marcia Dalton. Uh, let me stay with councillors because I'm told Councillor Kevin Murphy is on the other line. He just uh, joins us to give a quick word of warning uh, to people and this is to do with driving conditions. We did mention this earlier with the weather. The driving conditions are pretty poor. Uh, good morning to you, Kevin. Morning, Jim. Are you keeping? I'm, I'm, I'm very well. Are you out on the roads at the moment? So I travel from um, I travel from home this morning towards Tannacilty. I'm in Channel and uh, the, the road is absolutely diabolical on the N71 between Inishannon and Tannacilty. It is there are serious serious water issues there, um, forcing cars off the road and actual fact driving lowly lunatics trucks driving like lunatics and the road is absolutely diabolical. So be very very careful, okay? So like they're it's, almost it's, aquaplaning with the water, is it? It's well, because it's, of the surface water. Yeah, so as I could see this morning, the, the water is going towards the car, coming to meet it, and the yeah, aquaplaning will be the main danger. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, really dangerous. And, and, and just just to mention as well, uh, I listen, merci a while ago, merci is on my committee, where I'm the chairman of that committee, and I think this is a, a, a major start, I think, um, to 
enforcement and I know it is so because of the fact that illegal dumping is costing us a mint uh, and and uh, yeah somebody told said well ago it was a shame that Cork County Council gave up the uh, the collection but really and truly was costing the taxpayer a fortune I know, I know. that's, that's what we're back you know. to alright we'll leave it there Kevin thank you for that safe driving and uh, thanks uh, for joining us that is West Cork Councillor Kevin Murphy C103 presents Thunderland. Creamfields Tremore Road this April. New thrilling rides. The Hangover. The Giant Wheel. And the Magic Mouse Roller Coaster. Thunderland. Creamfields Tremore Road. From April 10th until 28th. Adventure for all the family. Book your tickets now at Thunderland.com. With C103. C103 is online everywhere. We'll keep you up to date with everything happening across Cork. Follow us on Facebook. Simply search for C103. Join us on Twitter. Search for our handle at C103Cork. And for photos and vids, find us on Instagram at C103Cork. Connect with us on social today at C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. Now, nearly 35 years ago, back in 1985, the country was gripped by the phenomenon of moving statues, with the largest number going to Balance Spittle. A new TV documentary looks back on the year the statues moved is on TV tonight and joining me with his memories John Daly who runs a fleet of chipper vans in West Cork and spent a lot of time in Balance Spittle that summer Good morning to you John morning, uh, you're, you're welcome Now when and how did you first become aware that something was happening and something was going on in Balance Spittle? Well I suppose it was on the radio for about uh, two weeks previous to the time I went down there weekly 10 days and as I said we were held by all the big crowds and all the rest of it, so we said we'd venture down. We, that's our business to follow the people. And you went down, and did you, how many nights, did you go every night? Uh, I was down there every night, yeah, while it was on. And when you went initially, were you expecting, oh, this will be a couple of nights and I'll be done? Oh, yeah, the weekend job, like, but it turned out to be up to 14 weeks, I'd say, or maybe 15. And how busy did it get each night? Uh, I suppose the weekends were busier and the busiest night was supposed to, the night before the 15th of August that was a church holiday before you know, and there was yeah. a lot of people came the night before to buy the rush and the, and the church holiday uh, there was um, there was thousands there that night They reckon on on some days and nights up to 10,000 if not more some say because there was no oh, one yeah. really counting the crowds you can't put a figure on it because, like, there was no ten thousand there at one time. There were, you could be four or five buses coming, carloads of people, and they'd be gone again maybe in a half an hour, and you a fresh crowd in again. Like, you know, that's the way it was. Like, and people, once a people travelled from all over. I mean, this was not just people from the local area. All over, yeah, Dublin, Kerry, as far as you can go. Did yeah. Did you see the statue move? I went to see, up to see it twice while I was down there and I saw the statue moving um, and first night where I saw it moving was like we said, uh, if you know the area you now there's a hill full of people but there was a couple of thousand or three thousand people up in it and there must have been half of them in when the kind of cheer like when the, when the statue moved because you think it was going to fall you know, Yeah. at the same time so 
Um, apart from that, that was very convincing anyway. And I mean, if you want to start yourself, you'd say, my scene things or whatever. But but uh, but everybody else saw it too. Yeah, and there was actually a man fainted alongside of me on that night. With the fright? The shock of it, yeah. So, and were you standing for long staring at us when it happened? Uh, about two or three minutes, sir. So. And did you go there as a non-believer? Were you thinking, yeah. this is just good for business, but I'm not going oh, to see yeah, this? That, yeah. That's why I went up the second night, I said, because, uh, you know, just to confirm what I did see. And, and did there was another, another man actually with me, and he couldn't see it at all. He's standing off my shoulder. And you saw it the second night again? I did, yeah. And when you say moving, swaying, bowing? From side to side, yeah. Uh, I took a line off, there's a pillar down there, down by the road, you know? Yeah. And uh, I took a line off the pillar, and I could see it disappearing behind the pillar and coming back out again and going back. Um, to kind of with your vision for a second and to come back again, like. So really like, swaying? To like someone looking around the corner, yeah? Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people different um, things about it I suppose like but sure I'm only saying what I saw like yeah and they reckon something like 70 different locations around the country that summer of 85 where statues were said to be moving or visions uh, were seen but but Ballinspittal I'm right in saying this was the most popular one of all wasn't it oh, John? Oh yeah the hell the crowds yeah there was a night we went down to um Rumored in, and uh, it was meant to be moving down in Cork McSherry. Yeah. And so all the people went down there. It mightn't have been that big a crowd that night, but they were all down in Cork McSherry, and we had to follow me in. And we were in Inchigila for a night, and but uh, we always came back to Bandless Fiddle. Yeah, I mean, I know it was like summer of 87 and, and 1987, we were in the grips of uh, a recession. Uh, you wonder. Uh, People's do people need the faith? Were they looking for something? I I, I wonder because I mean, if it happened today, John, you would not get numbers like that no, starting out. No, the people probably wouldn't care as much now as they would that time. Like they were still kind of um, watching out for. They were still half believing. We would say, like, mm. but, um, that's the way it was. And there was a lot of people that were gone away from the church and went back to the church. Because of it, yeah, yeah. yeah I'd be and you, yeah. you took part in the the documentary that's airing tonight. Did I you? Did, yeah. yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay, so we'll 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 get to see you uh, tonight uh, on it. And what's happening today in Ballinspittle? Do you ever go back there? I often stopped there and called there, but I I could never see any more after that day. Yeah, and it and it, um, as as it started, it stopped, didn't it? It was it was like almost it just suddenly stopped. Statue stopped moving. It must have, yeah. They see when the, and they went back to school in September. There was people out there to come as much then because the kids get up early in the morning for school and they died out. But there was, uh, it was Roman again that was moving after a couple of weeks, we'll say in September. And uh, a lot of people came back again for a while. The whole team was kind of over and kind of stopped up again for a small bit, you know. And you, hand on heart, believed that that statue moved? And on heart, Not a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Uh, did it give you a stronger faith? It wasn't do me any harm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you think, you know, you, yeah. you have to teach yourself, like. Yeah, that's, you, you know. know. But, you, but you're thinking, eh? 
and it got the whole country praying for a summer. Oh, which, yeah. which, it was a kind of a miracle, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that in itself. All right, we'll look forward to seeing you on the telly tonight, John. Uh, in the meantime, right. thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Let me quickly go to Mick, who is in uh, Butterfield, who also remembers the moving statues. Uh, good morning to you, Mick. Good morning, Patricia. You, you went to Ballinspittal? I sure did. And uh, what happened? Uh, I tell you, there were six of us in a starlit car, and outside Ballins Cross there, outside Kinsale, it was an awful night of rain and the water was coming down the road and like that now, you know, thinking ahead and the car came to a sudden stop. A huge pothole, the left, left front wheel, it, it made a rugby ball out of the wheel actually. It bust the tyre and the wheel was no more use. And to pour in, I know, trying to change the wheel and the people couldn't get out of the car because it was so bad. So I was drowned actually, but um, we went on to Kintail and to Ben Spittle. Yeah. And like that, no, some of them see it moving. I, I did see it moving. More people around me, they couldn't see it. And this was a wet, so, miserable so, summer's evening, like? Oh, God, to the bad evening, to the bad evening. And uh, the water run down the hill, you know, bells cross. And was there big crowds there? Oh, huge crowd, yeah, huge crowd. But like some people could see it. But I had some kind of an illusion with the trees, the movie, the, you know, the trees were in front of us. Yeah, a lot of people felt that it was an optical illusion rather than the statues. Yes, and, yeah, but, but, but for the people who saw it, they felt they genuinely saw that statue move. I did, I did, I did this very day, you know, I'm not making it up now, but, you know, whatever it was, but we, we went around to lots of places, we can't talk in Cathacor and Bodavent, and we could see you no know, statue moving, you know, and all the grottoes, you know. Yeah, but but, but, um, but you tried, you went, <laughs> you went, it, yeah. It kind of a feeling. You know, yeah. can I also point out that the miracle, if it was, you know, because people, some people see those moving statues as miracle. The miracle to me was how did you get six people in a starlet well, to go from yeah, Boston yeah. to Ballinspittal? <laughs> yeah, it was, an, it was an awful night, no, no, but, uh, you know, and uh, I did see it moving. I, you know, I make no secret out of it. Okay. But a lot of people around me couldn't see it at all, you know, and that was, um, that was a problem. Well, that's what John, who's taken part in the programme tonight, said. Yeah. Um, you know, the man standing beside him, he said, John was clearly seeing. Did you see it swaying? Was that the I movement? Did, yeah. yeah. I tell you, I got that together a couple of years ago. And, you know, you were very unsteady in your feet. Yeah. And that's what it seemed like, you know, that the statue was moving from side to side. You know, and I wouldn't say it was going too far, but it was moving, you know. Yeah, you and many thousands of others claim it did as well. All right, though, will you watch the programme tonight? Oh, with with great yeah, interest. You know, when you see it, you, you know, kind of a feeling comes over you. Yeah, it'll bring you back. It'll we bring you back as well. Open Limerick, when you came to Limerick at the time. Yeah. And when the helicopter passed over, the people were, ooh, you know. The, yeah, yeah, I was there. The kind of a feeling. Yeah, I was there that day in Limerick as well. All right, we leave it there. Uh, listen, Mick, thank you for that. Okay, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. And thanks to uh, John Daly, who takes who's in that documentary tonight, uh, 9.35 on RTE. Mary said, if you stand and look at something long enough, it will move and sway, etc. Well, not all that stupid. This is the Court Today replay on C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We are starting to get in electricity outages and if those high winds continue, if there's the danger we can get more of these as the day goes on. The electricity outage in the Ballinora waterfall area this morning 
And the ESB Networks tell us that electricity is due to be restored four o'clock this afternoon. So it's going to take quite some time because I'm assuming crews can't go out until the winds have died down. That's in the Ballinora waterfall uh, area. And uh, a number of people contacting us about our interview in the last hour about the moving statues in Balance Spittle. Aileen says, looking forward to seeing that programme tonight, Trish. I was only a child back in 1985, but I remember the excitement that the moving statues created and people went evening after evening after evening. As you know, it was, it was the summer of 1985 when they were, at, were, when they were at the height of moving and it was something for people to do on a summer's evening. I thought it was interesting to hear John say, because I was wondering how do they all stop? When do the statues stop moving? And how do the phenomena, you know, when do people stop going? And he said it had a lot to do with the children going back to school in September. The parents weren't able to Gordon is free to head off in the evening time because obviously children had to come home and have homework done and get to bed for school the next day so they didn't have the same freedom that they had during the summer months when they were able to bring because a lot of children, a lot of families would have gone along said a decade of the rosary and then uh, gone away uh, again. I think it's hard for, for people who weren't around and it's hard for people to today to even think about you know 35 years ago it's not that long ago but a very different country to where we are uh, today and just on the subject of religion something that struck me at the weekend uh, that got me thinking was the children are all on and the young uh, young adults in, in secondary school young they, I don't know if they'd like to be called children they're nearly adults the, certainly the Leaving Cert students are but so the secondary and primary schools are on holidays at the moment now I would if if you were asking me why are the children on holidays I would say oh they're on their Easter holidays and I'm assuming that majority of people if you asked you know why are the children not in school at the moment? Oh, it's Easter holidays. So I was really taken aback to hear. It was in a piece that was on one of the national radio stations. They were doing a packaged piece about education, some educational story. And they were building it around last Friday being, you know, the school bell goes and all the kids are on holidays. But they said all of the children are on holidays for midterm break. And I was thinking, are we gone that PC that we've even stopped saying we're on Easter holidays? No. I absolutely accept that every single child that is on holidays from school will not be celebrating Easter. They might get an Easter egg, but they won't be celebrating Easter. But I would still have thought that we would be calling it Easter holidays. And it just really struck me. Are we gone that way that we will drop all of the religious aspects when it comes to uh, education? Because there's so much talk about separating church from state, particularly when it comes to education. And is this going to be the new, like the next one will be, will will they start calling Christmas the winter holidays as opposed to the Christmas holidays? Because if they've, if someone has decided that we won't say Easter holidays anymore, we'll call it the midterm break, the knock-on will be, Christmas will be the next one, it'll be the winter breaks. And just, you know, and I'm not saying that it's a conscious thing that they're, they're that the they're going to do on all, every national radio station has decided to do it, but it just struck me, you know, call it what it is. I mean, to me, maybe I'm wrong, maybe, maybe, maybe they are right to call it a midterm break because for a lot of the children, they won't be celebrating Easter and by calling it the Easter holidays, it's almost saying that you or the family are in some way going to be acknowledging Easter and the religious ceremonies that go with Easter week and that they're going to be celebrating Easter in some way and because that's not the case certainly for the majority of 
students. I'm assuming it'll be for the minority of students and therefore call it the midterm break rather than call it the Easter holidays. Anyway, your thoughts uh, welcome down that. 1850-333-103. John in Cove says, since Cove Town Council went, we don't seem to be able to get anything done in our homes in Cove. This is obviously John lives in a council house that's under Cork at County Council. So many people bemoan the fact of losing their town council. You're not on your own with that one, John. That is for sure. On queuing for houses that we're going to be talking about in this hour of the programme, uh, Donna says, I remember my cousin and his wife queued all weekend in Greystones in Wicklow. That was over 15 years ago. The conclusion, this country produces short-term political candidates who are only interested in short-term populist policies. Where's the big picture? Where's the plan? says Donna because it does looking at the photographs that we saw coming from Balancholic that we're going to be talking about this morning that's the first thing that struck me was my God we are back to the Celtic Tiger boom uh, yet again staying on the council uh, with what's going on on the roads oh this is a reaction I'm, I'm assuming to Councillor Kevin Murphy who was asking people be careful on the roads please there is so much surface water on many of the roads you need to drive with extreme care our ex councilman is back and he always uses this opportunity to say this is where the man with the shovel is missing from the council because the man with the shovel would have opened up the ditches and the dikes and you would not have had that surface water when the rain came there would have been space for the rain to run off but no not anymore the man with the shovel is gone from the council thank you for that on bins with the council hi Trish I recently had to pay 60 euro for two new bins why my original wheelie bins was were taken from outside my house that's from a Cork City uh, listener and I don't know if that's a problem that's widespread problem or a more common problem in the city than it is in the county have we heard of wheelie bins been stolen I mean why would you steal a wheelie bin because when you sign up to get when you sign up with a company to have your bins collected you don't you don't pay for the bin so long ago now since I got my wheelie bins I don't did I ever pay for my bins I didn't think I did maybe I did I don't know It's but but surely if you if someone was stealing a wheelie bin and then going to a company would they not try to ask where the bins because most of the bins are microchipped uh, as well but yeah galling that you had to pay even though you, you left the bins out and then obviously they were stolen I'm assuming when they were uh, emptied on the new bylaws that uh, are going to be introduced and on paying for your rubbish to be collected. People don't have the substantial amount of money to dispose of rubbish. It should be free. People are in a bad way for money and taxes are fattening already fat cats at the top with two or three pensions. We nearly have a dictatorial state now with all the money making carry on says a uh, texter. There's no name on that. Thank you for that. Going to some of our WhatsApps. Heidi says, Hi Patricia, here we go again. Just because of the few, all of us all of us have to be treated the same. We, like a lot of other people in the Skibbereen area, go to the local recycling centre. We've been doing it for years and we don't get anything to say that's how we dispose of our rubbish. I'm fed up with a few that make the rest of us uh, suffer. Well, I'm assuming once these bylaws come in on the 1st of June, 
every single recycling centre is going to have to issue with something. I'm going to go back again to the point I made to both uh, Marcia and to Kevin when Kevin came in at the end because he's chair of the, of the commission that's introducing the bylaws. If you're doing everything right, you've absolutely nothing to fear. They're going to target people who they deep down know are illegally dumping. They're not, I mean, I can't, I would be shocked if they start randomly calling on people's doors, people like your good self, Heidi, who you genuinely can show them, you know, where you're rubbish and, and what you've been disposing of your rubbish. You're not out uh, fly tipping. I Honestly, I really do think you've nothing at all to worry about if we can just stop any, even a small amount of the fly tipping with these bylaws then it, they'll, they will be uh, well worth it. And thank you to Mary in Slugra Slugra in Whitechurch to say hi Patricia you got a lovely mention on the Irish Examiner on the weekend uh, uh, in an article with uh, Elaine Crowley of TV3 when she was talking about the work experience that she did with Patricia Messenger of uh, uh, County Sound now C103 she did. She, she's great she's great for remembering us um, Elaine, when she started out her broadcasting days and look how far she's gone. She's doing extremely well for herself on uh, TV3. Thank you to, that's a question for Annalise. Keep those coming because Annalise will join us after half past 12 today. So if you have a nutritional question, get that in 1850-333-103. On John Delaney that we're going to discuss in this hour, a text that says, Hi Patricia, this is Martin, about John Delaney and the 100,000 euro bridging loan. Well, it's small change compared to the financial overruns of the Children's Hospital and what about the overrun at Pork Equive in Cork? We should put things into perspective. Nobody has been held to account for either of those overruns. Are we going to see anything change? Uh, 1850-333-103 and a quick mention to a dance that's going on tonight that I got a I mentioned this now a couple of weeks ago. Glad to mention it again, again and I promised I would mention it today because it's on today. It's the Hazel Tree in Mallow. There's a joint fundraising dance. It's in aid of the dialysis unit of Cork University Hospital and the kidney transplant unit of Beaumont Hospital. Dancing is from nine tonight. Michael Collins Band, Pat Daly, Peter Burke. Doors will open at half past eight at the Hazel Tree. It's tenure to get in. There will be a raffle on the night and it's been organised by John and Eileen Russell and they have so much to be thankful for because Eileen had a double kidney transplant at Beaumont Hospital in Dublin in August of 2017 and that was following five years of dialysis at the Cork University Hospital and thankfully she has made a complete recovery and they're doing a little bit of a a thank you, a little bit of a give back just by way of gratitude to both Cork University Hospital and the renal unit at uh, Beaumont Hospital. So well done to John and Eileen Russell. Continued good health to Eileen and you can support that dance Hazel Tree in Mallow tonight from half past eight. C103 Jobs. An accounts assistant is wanted for maternity cover. It's three days per week and some holiday cover. Vodafone in Bandon and in Clonakilty have full and part-time sales roles available, while a home carer is required for an elderly lady with dementia that's in the Bandon area, and a housekeeper is required to lead a cleaning team at a West Cork holiday home complex. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. And some of your texts coming in. Somebody asks, is it legal 
from a data protection point of view for the refuge companies to hand over information about their customers to the uh, council. I I remember bringing that up when the city council were the first to introduce the bylaws because they are getting on to the city the city council are getting on to all the bin companies to find out who are their customers. So and then obviously by series of eliminations if you've got for example a house an estate with 40 houses in it and 30 get their bins collected then 10 are not customers so if they want to go check up they'll be checking up on, on the 10 and I remember asking that I remember trying to find that out was it legal and we couldn't we, we couldn't find out that it was illegal but I would be thinking absolutely I would be thinking the very same thing uh, Theresa McCroom says Patricia when you're talking about Easter holidays and somebody on radio referring to it as a midterm break rather than Easter holidays. Theresa in uh, Theresa McCroom says she was speaking to a friend of hers in Scotland and the friend in Scotland was saying all of the children in Scotland go back to school the day after Easter Sunday so they're back in school in the Monday. Their two week break is the two weeks leading up to Easter whack day according to Theresa in McCroom. That's just, that's just not Scotland. That's in England. I don't know if it's in Northern Ireland as well and it's possibly in Wales. I take it they've got a set school times across the United Kingdom and yeah it's the it's the two weeks like today they are starting the second week of their two week Easter holidays I don't know in the United Kingdom if they call it Easter holidays or maybe as we seem to be going in, the, in this country maybe they are starting to call it um, a midterm break as well I don't know but yeah it's, it's certainly it's not in sync uh, with us uh, here Patricia I go to Ballinspittal on a regular basis and there's always people coming and going people spending some time uh, praying I always see Our Lady's statue moving and my daughter-in-law who doesn't practice any religion has come with me and she can't believe it she sees it too she's been accompanying me lately so don't be under any illusion that the statue in Ballinspittal is not moving. It is still moving, according to some people who have been contacting us this morning. And, of course, we have people saying it's a load of rubbish. 1850 Now, over the weekend, people queued up outside a new housing development in Ballincollig in a bid to secure their dream home. It's believed over 100 people were queuing uh, up to put deposits down on these new homes. Local councillor in Ballincollig is uh, Fianna Fáil's Dahi O'Donovan, who uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Dahi. Good morning. Um, and you're welcome. It's um, it's fair to say Ballincollig is one of the most sought after places to live in now in the Cork City area. However, are we going back to the Celtic Tiger era, watching people sleep in their cars overnight to buy a house? We thought that day was long since gone, Di. Well, unfortunately it's not. And I don't think it's Celtic Tiger, which is synonymous with prices and the rest of it. This is coming down on questions of availability of property and how many houses are there. Um, just to put this in context, Ballycolleg is the largest town in County Cork, well, as long as we remain in County Cork until June of this year. Um, and in that, there has been a number of warning signs of late. Uh, a prominent auctioneer in the town, Con Nagel of Global Properties, flagged on social media going back uh, over two weeks ago now, that uh, as an auctioneer in the town, there, was n- there were no more properties to rent uh, on a certain Friday afternoon for a number of days. And he had lent, rent, uh, rented the last two on, uh, on my home or daft. And 
this is the, the pent up demand in the market. Like, there, there has been very little building going on. Now, the Heathfields development is very welcome. The builders uh, behind this Milan are very reputable and they have consistently turned out a good homes and good products. And I think that's what people are coming up for. There was a friend of mine coming up for as well. And their, their case in point was anonymous. What's going on? You have a young married couple in their 30s who have been either renting or saving or do, doing their level best to do both. And this is the first time in over two years that a, a major development has come on stream in the Ballincollig area. Now, it's not for the want of trying with the council side of things. Uh, just to speak this geographically, uh, Heathfield is on the, it's the first development in what was zoned in Cork County Council's um, development plan uh, what's known as the Maglin Lands. Now, the Maglin Lands, uh, according to the master plan, should deliver over 4,000 houses to um, to the housing stock, which is effectively increasing Balancholic by a factor uh, of uh, what's there already. I mean, there's about 5,000 houses in Balancholic. It's almost and doubling Balancholic. Correct. So, yeah. I mean, it is, from a planning point of view, it is significant. So those lands are there, they're zoned. The problem is opening them up. And what I mean by that is in terms of infrastructure and uh, you, it needs an access road, it needs sewage, it needs water. Yeah. And talking to one of the uh, senior planners of the planning policy unit, you remember that the government announced a major um, budget for key infrastructure projects going back to the earlier part of this year. Uh, and talking to the planning policy unit in Cork County Hall, they said that's all well and good. That, that amount of money would only unlock the strategic land development zones in Cork County alone never mind any other part of the country. So we have a, a massive infrastructure deficit here, which is allowing land to be opened up. And, and moving to the city council, will that help? I don't I don't believe it will, because they will uh, have a, a period of adjustment, and I think the it, it will take a period to transfer knowledge, information, expertise. And the city council also has a mandate to develop what's called its brownfield sites. In other words, uh, existing areas which need to be redeveloped like the docklands and so on and so forth and uh, I would have a concern as to uh, the ability to grasp major uh, urban developments because all the major developments have occurred in under Cork County Council's remit over the last while. And these houses over the weekend in uh, Heathfield, 325,000 to 375,000 they're not cheap and I'm told all snapped up within an hour. Yeah, they they were all they were all gone, and um, I had contact with the developers on Saturday, and they said the first phase has has gone. Now there are, there are a number of phases to come in this development, and I I had the opportunity to look at these houses going back a couple of months ago, and yes, they are a fine house, no doubt about it. But it is, as I say, synonymous. There has been no development of this nature yeah. released to the market in Ballincollig in over two years. So you have, um, and look at the employers in the area. We have VMware, which has over a thousand people employed in the town of Ballincollig. You have a, a, a sister company of EMC just out the road from it, uh, where, where you have another couple of thousand people working. And also, Ballincollig being a commuter town, you have, uh, we say a lot of my friends from secondary school, are working in the pharmacem in the Ringeskiddy Little Island side of things. So you have people, never mind with uh, you know, the, 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 the traditional uh, Garda nurse teacher, who have all been working for the last couple of years, as they're doing their best to pay rent, doing uh, their best to keep their savings, looking for places to buy, and all that has come up is a single house here or there. Um, without any well, And as, as I mentioned earlier, many of those young couples are, what they're paying in rent is more than what they will pay back on a mortgage. Correct. Uh, that, uh, that, that is absolutely the case. 
if they could get a mortgage for a property in the first place, they'd only be too delighted to, to snap them up. Uh, it's, it's the availability of stock. As I said, it, the land is there. Um, we have zoned the land for, for the purpose of building on it. And, and to be fair to Cork County Council, through a, a constructive input in, in, in the development plan stage of it, this, this is land that is properly zoned. It's, it is sustainable to have this number of holes in it. We have made provision for, for enterprise units because a lot of spin-offs from VMware, etc. We've made provision for schooling, which was a problem uh, traditionally trying to find sites for schools. As I know from my own experience in, in Ballincollig, this uh, people know this development is, is about the, the new Grail Skull. I mean, the Grail Skull was without a home for 30 years until they found a site. We've made provision for two primary school and one secondary school sites in the new land. But the problem is we can't open them up. OK. And real, I, I loved when I heard this um, about the story of the people queuing. A real community spirit in that local people were bringing out coffee and breakfasts to the people in the cars. Yeah, I think they look. This is part of the the, the community that is there in terms of this why it is a good place to live. That people know that they that they want new people coming to live in in the area because they're all, any new development that has there people it has added to it. Um, you will have a new sense of focus, a new sense of energy, a new injection in the, in, in the clubs. I think that we're up to about fourteen hundred members in the GA club now at this stage. Wow. You know, all the, all the clubs are, are growing and thriving. We've had major developments in Lakewood, um, um, uh, uh, soccer pitches there. Uh, the rugby club is undergoing a major redevelopment. The GA is next on board to redevelop everything, and that is the sign of a healthy community that that, that people are partaking the local amenities and infrastructure. Okay, and I mean, but and, and I go back to where I started from. Like, we haven't seen people sleep out. The need for people to, to sleep out uh, to buy a house in in so many years. So, it just you know, it just shows what a crisis we are in with the housing. Are you fearful though that we're going to push those at the lower end out of the housing market? I mean, the people who don't qualify for affordable houses, the people who don't qualify for social housing, but yet can't get on the property ladder because even those houses like 325,000, 375,000 are out of the reach of, of some. The, the, yes, the, the, that, is, that is not a cheap house by any stretch or, or, or measure. And as my, I've commented previously that the problems here are housing full stop. A person on 30, 40, 50,000 euros a year can no longer afford to rent a house in the area. I mean, that, that is how bad it has become. That is, I mean, the word crisis is bandied around, and but it has gone beyond crisis when you cannot even rent a, a, a house in a townland. Um, in, in, the, in I mean, I said there's a stock of over five thousand houses, and that you cannot find one or two houses for rent at a reasonable rate in, in a period. Uh, it, uh, this is, uh, I don't know how many superlatives you can use to highlight how bad the situation is, and it is young families. Uh, whatever their income, okay, some people may be very well off in terms of working in certain high-profile jobs. But I said there's people on very, uh, very average wage, on the average industrial wage, that cannot afford to rent. And if they can't afford to rent and find their starter home, so to speak, and get off the ground uh, and get their family roots in an area, how are they ever going to be able to afford to buy in it, which is ultimately the aspiration of, of, uh, of all these families. Yeah, and it's the way housing works. Somebody rents for a little while, they get their deposit together, they buy the house, they move out. That rented property then becomes available for somebody else who needs it. But that's just not happening at the moment. No, uh, and uh, this is anonymous truth. How many, I've asked people, when you drive around, how many developments do you see on the go? 
in house. Now there is another development in, uh, on the go in Ballincollig at the moment, and the price I understand are somewhat increased from the one you're talking about at the moment. So you know that's that's catering for certain elements of the market. But again, what they're going the, over four hundred thousand, close to half hundred thousand. So you know it, 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 you're talking about very big money. I, I, I want to specifically focus on the person, the, the, the individual, the young couple, the, the person uh, who has had change in circumstance in their life. How can they hope to rent or buy with, with the waiting there? It is, in, uh, you know, we, we can point the finger blame at various stakeholders. Um, and the commentary has been made in national media about local authorities and time the rest of it. I can show you the map where lands um, and lands have properly been zoned for development. Uh, the lands are there. What is holding it up in, in terms of development? It's in terms of, yes, the market has changed from the point of view of you can no longer borrow from the banks the way you could to, to, to build a development. But that leaves a gap that the government must step into. And it is not as if this has not been flagged for the last couple of years. As I said, the fund that was made available in January wouldn't even cover the water infrastructure for Cork, never mind the whole country. So this is a situation that has been allowed to develop, which has not been grasped, and I do not see a clear plan for resolving it anytime soon. Okay, before we let you go, in middle of uh, canvassing for the local elections, is it very different for for you guys who've been who are moving from the county council to the city council? There's a huge element of uh, concern, I have to say, because there is a, a huge gap in information uh, in terms of what's available. What has been spoken about is service level agreements uh, where effectively county council workers will be doing the work for the city council for a transitional period. Now, that immediately sends off an alarm bell because the last time we had a a service level agreement was with Irish Water and I don't think anybody wants to... We know what happened there, yeah. Exactly. So uh, uh, there's huge concerns. We're not sure, for example, uh, again, go go back to to, to, to the local situation. We've had our local engineers off the Ballincollig, which for the last municipal last four years in a sub-office of the Caroline office, but it has worked very well. We have had a, a, a works crew there, engineers, ground staff, etc. And I can go around the, the locality and I can point to where roads were done, where footpaths were done, where street lighting was done, where various other projects were done because we have had a local command of um, involvement. You have had local engineers involved and they want to see and they want to deliver. The huge concern is will we have that? We've had verbal assurances from the City Hall that, yes, funding streams will be kept the same, I mean, the grants will be kept the same, the rest of it. But the reality is on the ground that the, the way they have operated has been dramatically different. And I, I, I have not seen anything committed to paper where uh, assurances, cast iron assurances, will say, this will remain exactly the same, you will get exactly the same service delivery. Yeah, and certainly some of the calls we're getting in, people, I think people locally now as it's getting closer are starting to get a little bit uh, worried. Well, one of the ones you might be able to clear up, for people going to the polls, there'll be no difference except that they're voting in a city council rather than a county council. Same polling booths and all of that, it'll all be the same? Yes, the county sheriff to fix the, the polling stations. Um, in, in the locality and I, I haven't been notified of any change yeah, any particular polling station I think so I think most of the, the infrastructure will be, will uh, be the same. Uh, as was um, up to now um, but again it, it is it, it, there's a lack of information and the, the lack of information has allowed uncertainty and worry to seep in Okay. In well, respect to 
We'll leave it there. We'll talk again, Dahi. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks yeah, thank for joining us. That is uh, local Philafall Councillor for the Balancholic area. And that is uh, Dahi uh, O'Donovan. When after the election, we will be introducing him as a city councillor. 1850 there is There are reports of flooding in parts of Cloyne. That's near the GAA grounds. You need to be very, very careful. Some reaction can, still coming in on the moving statues. Now, oh, by the way, some reaction to Mary. Mary had come on when we were talking with uh, John Daly, who's taking part in that programme tonight with his, his sent his chip fans down to Balance Spittle and followed the crowds uh, around them. We'd Mick on from Baltimore and they both uh, claimed that when they went to Balance Spittle all those years ago they saw the statues uh, move. Mary was on uh, listening to us and we were getting calls in from other listeners as well saying, Patricia, it is an eye illusion. If you stand and look at something long enough it will move or sway. We're not that stupid out there was her comment. Well, a group of the girls in Mallow that's they regularly WhatsApp the programme and that's how they sign off as the guards of Mara. They said that Mary was very rude to say that about the moving statue, the Virgin Mary. And that's from the girls in uh, Mallow. Other people who saw the statue move. Hi, I remember the moving statues going with my father and uncle. They left at two o'clock in the afternoon to head to Mount Mellory Grotto in County Waterford because the statue was moving in Mount Mellory as well. And they only got as far as Capaquim as the cars were parked everywhere. So they had to park up and walk into the grotto in uh, Mellory. They gave up after walking for about a half an hour and said, not had enough of this. And they went back to the car. They never actually made it as far as the statue. They then decided that the following morning they would get up at 4am in the morning because they reckoned they'd beat the crowds. <laughs> That's what they did. And they went to Mount Mellory. But there, there was a huge amount of crowds and the, and the infrastructure wasn't there for for the parking of all of the cars. You were, you literally would be walking for miles to get close, to get into the actual uh, statue. And Tim says in Barry Row, Hi Patricia, I'm moving statues. I went to Balance Spittle. I saw the statue move as well, as did a lot of people who were standing next to me. There was about 10,000 people there on any one night. My abiding memory of it, says Tim in Bar- Barry Row, was the peace and the, the, how relaxed it was and this gorgeous, peaceful feeling of everybody praying. I mean, even the very notion of saying that something's going to happen in a field somewhere and the 10,000 people are going to go along and pray. As I say, I know it's only 35 years ago, but it is a very, very different Ireland uh, to what it is today. And Jill says, how come they only moved in the evening time, says Jill. I, uh, well, no, I, I don't think they only moved in the evening time. It's just that the biggest crowds turned up in the evening time. People had work to do or whatever and people headed there in the evening time. But no, I think the statues that were claiming to be moving uh, moved at any time of the day or night or evening. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And talking earlier about should we be changing calling Easter 
winter holidays, Easter holidays, uh, because, you know, the fact that we call it Easter holidays, this is for the, for the kids from school. They break up for Easter holidays. You are assuming because they break up for Easter holidays that they're going to celebrate Easter in some way. But we know that for a large number of young people going to school, they're not practising Catholics. They may go to Catholic schools, but their families are not practising Catholics. So they won't actually be celebrating Easter during their Easter holidays. So should we refer to it as I heard on Friday when an, an educational piece was being introduced and holidays will be mentioned, I heard it referred to on national radio as a midterm break, that the two weeks the children are off at the moment is a midterm break. It isn't Easter holidays. And it's just it's got me thinking, where are we gone in this country if we're not going to call this break, which involves Easter, if we're not going to call it Easter holidays. But maybe because people are not practising Catholics that we shouldn't be calling it Easter holidays it should be called a midterm break um, Texas says Patricia this is all to do with the PC Brigade and the PC Brigade have gone uh, mad they want to push everything they want in our faces and they want to do it all the time and if anything or anyone disagrees with this politically correct crew we will get sh- shouted down. Well, it's about time that all these groups realised it's free speech and we should have our free speech uh, as well. No one is allowed to say anything these days. At the end of the day, Easter is Easter. Christmas is Christmas. That's the way it should be. That's the way it's always been in this country and that's the way it should stay. But the PC Brigade seem to have got a handle on this and seemed to be winning. They seem to be very much getting their way when it comes to deciding should we be dropping the Christmas, should we be dropping the Easter because we don't have so many people, we don't have as many practising Catholics as we did when we've been talking about Balance Spittle and 35 years ago and how different 35 years ago was. Let me go back to uh, 35 years ago. Martin in Mallow is on the line. Good morning to you, Martin. Oh, Patricia, how are you? Uh, I'm not too bad. You went to Ballinspittal. I did, yeah, during 85 when it was, when, when it was all happening. Now, people are saying about the statues moving, and yes, I did see the statue move. Yeah. But my aunt, we went down by coach, and my aunt was, uh, was there with her two boys, right? Right. And David, the eldest lad, turned around and he said to his mother, Ma'am, do you see Jonathan next to our lady? And uh, Mary turned around and says, no. He says, I see Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was his brother who had been killed in a car in, by, with a car about two years before that. And David was about uh, seven, maybe eight at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. And although, although a couple of people said it uh, was talking that they saw deceased relatives as well by our lady. And the, your young cousin, who was only seven, yeah, could very clearly see his brother. It clearly, yes. And did anybody else in the party that was there? Did any of the rest of you see? No, no, no. I didn't even know. I'd been looking at the statue at the time. Yeah, like I said, like I just said, uh, now, yes, I did see it move. It was moving from side to side, and like somebody said to you there, it was it. Uh, uh, John Dale, John Dale, it was swaying. Yeah, so he thought he was going to fall off. Like. Yeah, yeah. And the, and this thing about you know some people ringing in saying oh would everybody cop on? It's an optical illusion. If you stare at something long enough, it will move. Okay, I've heard that. Yes, and you know, fair enough. But was seeing a deceased person. Yeah. 
and your and your young cousin was adamant. Oh, he was adamant, yes. And did he ever talk about it after that? No. No. You see, Mary didn't want to bring up too much because Jonathan, uh, sorry, David saw Jonathan being knocked down by the car. Ah, oh, she got to have him. You know, so God she didn't heaven. want to... Uh, no, he was going through enough. He was yeah. going through enough. Yeah. And was there... Everyone talks about this great sense of peace, oh, Martin, there was, that was yes. there. Yeah. There was. Now, I've been to as well. Now, I know it's a different area. And if you're ever there, you look... The crickets, the deafening in where the in Operation Hill. The crickets are actually deafening. But when Our Lady appears, there is complete silence. And in Medjugorje, she appears every night, doesn't she? She does, that, yes. That hasn't stopped. Yeah. yeah. And you're saying the crickets, the, and the crickets make, as you, it, it's a deafening noise if you get hundreds of crickets together. Yeah. And you're saying that the, 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 I don't know what the sound of a cricket, I don't know what the, the terminology for the sound of a cricket is, but that sound, you say, stops. It stops when no lady appears, yes. For the few minutes? Yeah. Oh, that's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Part of the miracle, you would say. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. But uh, you have uh, fond memories of Ballinspittle, and you weren't spooked by your cousin saying he could see no. his dead. No. No, I wasn't. And your aunt? Uh, she was. Yes. Yeah. Bless her heart. She was still grieving for the loss loss of her child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And you'll watch the program tonight. I definitely will. Yeah, Yeah, 9.35 tonight. All right, listen, thank you for that, uh, Martin. And thanks uh, for joining us. Have a nice day. Uh, 1850-333-103. Jim in Clonakilty says, I wonder, will they drop the Easter in the 19th, Easter Rising in 1916? Will it be called the mid, will will they rename it the mid-term Rising when they're rewriting the history books if they're going to drop uh, Easter. Okay, don't forget to get your uh, questions in for Annalise please because she will join us after about half past 12 uh, today so if you have a question for Annalise get those in uh, quicker you get them in the better the chance we have of putting them to Annalise in the next hour the on also on is there one in there on the um, morning Patricia just wondering if the people that call school holidays this time of year if they've changed it to mid-term break will they be the same people who will be buying Easter eggs for their children that's from Jura in Formoy I did make that point that you're going to have a lot of children who will not be celebrating Easter as the Catholic Church would ask you or Christians the way Christians celebrate Easter but will they still get Easter eggs? 100% yes, I would say they will, even though Safe Food are on to us saying, can we remind parents again of the amount of sugar that is contained in Easter eggs? And please be careful when you're giving Easter eggs out to uh, count the number of Easter eggs that you're giving to children. But, you know, as I always defend the parents, parents might just buy the one Easter egg, but it's the aunts and the uncles and the grannies and the godparents and everybody else that buy all of the other Easter eggs. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We have a listener's been on. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. 
underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're trying to get on to Funderland to check this out. Alyssa says, could you please find out from Funderland, can tickets that were booked online for today be used on Thursday as they've cancelled today obviously due to the weather warnings I've tried contacting them by phone and email but I'm getting no answer at uh, thanking you so I know John Paul is working at it and trying to get on to uh, Funderland and hopefully fingers crossed we'll have an answer before the close of the programme today. Talking of John Paul, I want to wish him the best of luck he's doing MC tonight for the Cork County Mayor's Community Awards does a fine job as MC for this every year and he'll be doing it again tonight and actually talking of the awards I got an email in asking me to wish the best of luck to Majella McCarthy from Dunmanway she's been nominated to attend the Cork County Mayor's Community Awards this evening and it's in recognition of her voluntary work. Last year Magella wrote a book called My Journey Through Life and it spoke about the challenges she has faced in her own life. She donated the proceeds of the book sale which was €2,500 to Spina Bifida Hydrocephalus Ireland. Magella is a member of Spina Bifida Hydrocephalus Ireland and to date she, this young woman has helped to raise almost 10 thousand euro for this charity. Isn't that amazing sum of money? She's described as being inspirational and she deserves the recognition at the Mayor uh, Mayor's Awards Ceremony tonight. So very best of luck to Magella McCarthy from uh, Dunmanway and to all everyone who's been nominated. They're all winners just by being nominated. They're, they're winners, believe me. So uh, enjoy your night and best of luck as I say. Our John Paul is the MC for the evening. Going back to your calls and texts coming in. I can see questions for Annalise. Keep those coming. She'll join us after half past 12. That's your nutritional questions, please. 1850-333-103. Text your WhatsApp 0862-103-103. On Easter holidays. Uh, Easter holidays, it's what we've always called them in this country. We've too many people coming from other countries. Says a listener, and that's what it's to do with. Well, you know, I don't know if that's true because we've a lot of people coming from other countries who are Catholics and who are practicing Catholics and probably better practicing Catholics than some of us Irish are. And they very much want to keep it as Easter holidays rather than midterm break. And a listener in McCroom points out, Patricia, there was a midterm break in February. There are two midterm breaks in the school calendar year. There's one in February and the other one is October. That's according to the Department of Education and that's from a listener in McCroom. So we should always refer to this holiday that the children run at the moment as Easter 
holiday should never be referred to as midterm. There's a lot of questions for Annalise. It amazes me, oh this is a good text, it amazes me how those who aren't practising Catholics and don't want to use the terms Christmas and Easter holidays, never go to Mass etc. Yet, they'll turn up on First Holy Communion Day dressed to the nines. Hypocrisy and bouncy castle Catholics are alive and well in this country and I've never heard them refer to as bouncy Catholic bouncy castle Catholics before and I know exactly what you're talking about and the bouncy castles seem to be back again they're kind of in vogue aren't they and I imagine when we get to First Holy Communion we're in confirmation season at the moment but that'll quickly move to communion season and I'm sure there'll be loads of bouncy castles we'll be seeing them everywhere we go someone else says the doll is off they're on two weeks' holidays. Nothing about that. And all the wages they'll be paid while they're on their holidays. Are they on their Easter holidays or are they on a midterm break? I'm assuming they're on their Easter holidays. On the statues and statues moving, John and Ballon colleagues says people were asking what happened to the moving statues. When did they suddenly stop moving? John says that he remembers hearing at the time that some people came from other areas with an axe and broke the statue. This is the Ballon Spittle one, is it, John? Does anybody else have that memory? Mm, I don't know. Was the Ballon Spittle statue actually broken? I fake recollections of a statue been been broken, knocked off. Um, you know the plinth it was on. Don't know if it was the Ballon Spittle one, and was it? There would have been consternation at the time if someone decided to knock over the one in Ballon Spittle, because particularly in 1985 that we've been talking about, there was you know tens of thousands of people turning up on a daily basis. So does anybody remember people coming from a different area not locals outside the area obviously people who didn't believe the statue was moving and decided to knock it down and came with access anybody has a story that can confirm that I would love to hear from you Brendan in Bantry says I was in Bannon Spittle but what I thought was it was the vision on the front of the statue rather than seeing the statue itself moving. A lady behind me kept seeing she couldn't see anything. She couldn't see it moving. She couldn't see what Brendan was seeing which was like an, a different image over the face of the statue and the woman obviously was getting quite upset because she was a nun. Brendan says I told her it's only sinners that can see it moving. You're all right love. So that's <laughs> so the nun obviously went away happy thinking I mustn't be a sinner because I didn't see it move. And John in from Oi says the halo over the head of the statue that flickers on and off again. It has fluorescent tube light in it and fluorescent tube lighting does flicker. So if it's getting past its cell by date, it will flicker all the more and that will create an illusion that something is moving. He, John believes that at the time that was the theory as to why people thought that the statue in Balance Spittle was moving. See, I've never been to Balance Spittle so I don't know. Does she have a halo of lights the statue doesn't have a halo of lights around its head. If so, John says that was the explanation. But many other people are saying, no, it's an optical illusion that if you stare at something long enough, it will move. John says the statue was damaged on the 8th of December in 1985. Three guys were arrested in Port Leash and they're brought to court. Oh, almost. I wonder will that get. That might get. That might feature tonight in the documentary because the documentary is the year the statues moved. So if it happened in, and it's to do with 1985, so that might. And did they say why they did it? I'll try and look into that and see if I can find out more about it. And Micah says people came and broke the statue. He says they were from Dublin. Maybe they was the same same gang. Did they say why? 
Any reason as to why they did it? Uh, 1850 John Paul continues to take your uh, calls. And thank you for the number of people saying, yes, that's right, Patricia, the statue in Ballon Spittle, it was smashed by people. The story broke on the Late Late Show by Gay Byrne on the night. OK, now I do know that there are parts of, because I've seen the trailer for the show tonight, the Late Late, because he gave, certainly watching the piece that was on that I've seen promote, Gay Byrne doesn't seem to be believing at all of these statues moving in Balance Middle. Any people, I'm assuming, in the audience who were believers, people who thought they saw it move, and and also people who poo-hooed and said, no, abs- optical illusion or somebody explaining there, it's to do with the flicker of the tubular fluorescent light. That's all you were seeing. You're not seeing a statue move. So I'm assuming we'll find out more of that uh, tonight. So thank you to the number of people saying, yeah, uh, it was actually smashed by people from outside of the area. But why? 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 I mean, even if the statues were not moving, if nothing else, it brought people together to pray. And the amount of people even telling us their stories, talking about the peace. What is wrong with a group of people getting together in during a time where this country was gripped by a really shocking, dreadful Recession that was causing huge numbers of people to have to leave this uh, country because they they couldn't afford to stay at home. They couldn't get jobs. You know, if a statue moving, or the thoughts of a statue moving, or the mention of a statue moving, got people together in prayer. Why why would you decide to smash the statue? I can't understand that at all. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul text your calls, text or WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie And as we mentioned earlier Fundraising dance In aid of the Dialysis Unit At Cork University Hospital And the Kidney Transplant Unit At Beaumont Hospital That's in the Hazel Tree In Mallow tonight Dancing to Michael Collins And his band Pat Daly and Peter Burke and your support would be much appreciated. Band and Flower and Garden Club, they're presenting a gardening talk by DJ Murphy in the Munster Arms Hotel that's on tonight at 8. Visitors are welcome. The North Cork Local Forum for Mental Health will be held in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. That is on this evening at half past six. All are welcome. Fundraising coffee morning for Jack and friends in Bandon will be held in the Munster Arms Hotel tomorrow morning, half ten start. All are welcome. And dancing to the Dave Ray Band and the PJ Murray Band in the Hazel Tree in Mallow on Monday the 29th of April, so two weeks' time, all in aid of the Chernobyl Orphanage with a great raffle also to be held on the night. And the Vikings in Ireland and a historical talk presented by Dr John Sheehan of UCC will be held in the Heritage Room in Kilmurray Independence Museum in Kilmurray and that is happening on Wednesday, April the 17th at 8 o'clock. Anthony said by text, if people had a choice of schools to choose from, maybe the bouncy castle Catholics that we spoke about wouldn't exist. 90% of primary schools are Catholic and if you watched Michael McDool's documentary on TV last week you would see why and that's from Anthony on 0862 103 103. Now further talks by the FAI officials are expected today amid the ongoing controversy surrounding the organisation's finances. The Sunday Times yesterday reported details of its former CEO John Delaney's expenses claiming he spent almost 40 thousand euro on a work credit card over a six month period at the end of 2016. Joining me from the Sunday Times, the man responsible for all of these uh, stories, Mark Ty. Uh, good, good afternoon to you, Mark. 
Morning, how are things? Um, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. John Delaney is like a cat with nine lives. Has he run out of lives, do you think, today? I think he's probably on his, in terms of his FAI, he's on his last life uh, today. Like, until it's official, it's, it's not, it's, he's not gone. So, but he has sent out text messages to close supporters and friends over the weekend telling them that he, he's offered his resignation. So, we have to see what, what way the board deals with that now. And of course, this is a board, you know, ma- staffed uh, largely by Delaney loyalists, loyalists over the last uh, 11 to 14 years, many with that, you know, been on that board that length of time. Um, people like uh, Michael Cody and Eddie Murray, you know, both 79 turning 80 later this year. And there's talk that those two gentlemen could be gone as well. But until until there's an announcement and we expect a statement later this evening, um, nothing's official. And the fact that John Delaney got in there first and got that news out to his friends and let his friends decide to contact the media to say he's tendered his resignation, is that John Delaney boxing clever? Because it looks like it was his choice rather than the FAI's choice. Yeah, I think it is. You know, um, we'll see what the FAI say themselves uh, this evening. It's been remarkable that you know, we had a we had a statement from the FAI saying they're urgently trying to address things. You know, not a dicky bird about um, you know our story about his expenses. You know, and instead, or about you know the Radio Kerry who broke this thing on Saturday about the um, John text John Delaney texting his friends saying he's gone. So yeah, it's clearly uh, him trying to tell people let people know you know that he's controlling things. But you know, things have had you know, from every um, step on this process from March first when the Sunday Times first put questions into the FAI. It's just really been a disaster for the FBI and how they've controlled things. You know, they've admitted now that statements they issued saying that the board knew about this €100,000 loan were incorrect and they haven't been able to offer any proper clarification on on who, who knew what when and and why these incorrect statements then were subsequently issued and why they haven't, you know, clarified things with the board of Ireland, which controls, you know, €3 million Euro in state funding a year. Will we ever get to the bottom of what that €100,000 was all about? I think so, yes. Um, like I, like a lot of conjecture about it, and you know, reference to the family law case. I really, and I've said this to many, many people, that the hundred thousand was a plug, a, a big black hole in the FAI's finances. Like Noel Rock, I think, put his finger on it at the TV when he said, "Was this money? Was this Dundalk um, FC's prize money?" Yeah. And John O'Brien asked very good questions about this. Jonathan O'Brien saying, "You know, is the money from UEFA funds ring fenced or not?" And I was, I was gobsmacked that Donald Conway, the FAI president, the Rock just couldn't give a straight answer to that question so you know a lot of people are, are saying there's something nefarious about the 100,000 euro but it's really I, I think and the, the reason he went to the high court was to stop people having a look inside the FAI's accounts because it's a complete mess and um, there, there's no proper corporate governance in terms of what happens and you know we had the honorary treasurer treasurer for so many years Eddie Murray not knowing how many bank accounts they had oh, that was embarrassing that was embarrassing but, but, but Mark, what got to me was, I mean, they, they say like 50 million euro goes, goes, goes 30 million goes, goes through the FAI each year. 50 million turnover, yeah. Yeah. So 100,000 is a drop in the ocean. It is. But, you know, every, biz, every businessman will know you've got your ingoings and outgoings and, you know, you're reliant sometimes on your overdraft facility. The FAI's overdraft facility was 1.5 million and was maxed out um, at this time in April 2015. Now, why Delaney didn't know about this until he said the last minute or he just had hours to spare like he, he, he in his short statement before he zipped up his mouth uh, legally and kind of figuratively in the Oireachtas he squarely put the blame on his finance department and said you know they, they informed me of this and he said he was surprised concerned that he didn't know about 
couldn't cover this hundred thousand euro creditor that was seeking payment. And he said the only solution he could think of was to write a hundred thousand euro check. Now, unfortunately, because of John Delaney's legal tactics and you know parking the bus, he didn't explain why they couldn't have gone to Bank of Ireland um, for an extension of an overdraft. Mm. Um, so that's really you know where we still haven't got answers. You know, was the relationship with Bank of Ireland so bad that they wouldn't extend the overdraft facility? Um, you know, wh- why wasn't he communicating with his finance director properly? Why wasn't this minister in um, a monthly report? Why weren't the board informed? Uh, you know, those those um, questions haven't been answered. And, you know, Sport Ireland, Minister Shane Ross, uh, clearly are deeply unhappy. And, you know, we had people like um, Melda Munster um, saying she was scarlet for um, for the FAI. And she thought that, you know, John Delaney's t- approach was disgraceful. And that was a view, I think, that's been shared by many football fans and uh, supporters across the country this week. But would the story have gotten as big as it got so quickly if they hadn't gone after you and the Sunday Times with the super injunction? No, I, I don't think it would. And like you know, that was a spectacular own goal. And but like, it it, it could have worked. You know, it, we 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 were lucky that we got a very good lawyer at the last minute to come in, literally, and you know, uh, represent us. Like we, it was the eve of St Patrick's Day. The, Mr Tom Hogan, senior counsel, fantastic lawyer, but. He, the fourth person we tried, no one was available, and he came in. And we were lucky; we got a very good judge who who understood, um, you know, the importance of um, probity and transparency in public fi- in football finance and in the importance of freedom of the press. So, you know, it, this six weeks on, you know, we, we we might no one could have known about any of this if the judge decided, no, I'm going to give the injunction, and we'd we'd have had our mouth um, and hands tied, you know. And mm. we wouldn't be able to report it either. So it was and, and credit to you, but but in fairness, credit to you, Mark, and and the team at at the Sunday Times for for well, yeah. breaking this story. Yeah, and so it, we put a lot of work into it, and you know, a lot of whistleblowers have come forward, and you know, it's been great that they've put their trust in us. A lot of people have taken a lot of risks to come forward and blow the whistle on various aspects of the FBI's finances that we've reported on. You know, from things to the expenses to the use of the team jet. The, Ferry John Delaney's family over to Euro 2016. Um, you know about the the house and how the FAI paid for his uh, rent for so long. You know, there's been there's a culture of um, fear and a culture of silence in the FAI for so many years. A lot of people have signed non-disclosure agreements, and I know people have talked about you know we don't want to lose John Delaney's connections with UEFA, but so many talented um, workers and executives um, have left the FAI in the last ten years. You only need to look at how many. People have moved on to senior positions in other sporting organisations to see that that talent has has left the FAI. And a lot of it has have gone involuntarily that they just couldn't work under John Delaney's regime. Yeah, the and turnover of staff should have been questioned at some stage and it wasn't. Yeah, like it mm. was asked, but I thought uh, Donald Conway's quest answering, he, he was stretching the, the number of departures over a long stretch, amount of time to give mm. a certain answer. But if you look at, and if you talk to the people there, you know some really talented people have had to leave the FAI and a signed non-disclosure agreement at a cost of the Football Association. That all has to come out in the wash now. And I think uh, the only way the tap gets turned on here from in terms of the state is if there's a, a full transparency and a full independent audit of the FAI's book. I think you've opened a Pandora's box here, um, Mark. Um, severance package for John Delaney. Is there expected to be a generous severance package? Well, this is probably why this has dragged on over the weekend. We don't know. Like they said, remarkably, that there was no severance package when he went from 360,000 to approximately 120,000 in this remarkable shimmy that he did on the night of the Gibraltar game, you know, after the board voted unanimously to give him this new executive vice president job. So 
that's something I think a lot of the board were waiting to see what we had on Sunday um, in terms of you know cash withdrawals from the FBI credit card and other things. You know, do, if the board are okay with that, well, maybe they'll say John deserves a a, um, a set of generous severance package. If not, you know that th- that could be in the in in the mix today. And John Delaney's clearly well lawyered up. He he's had Paddy Goodwin, he's had Aidan Eames solicitor, so I'm sure you know he he, he wants to ensure that his rights and his um, you know, employment rights are respected in, in whatever happens now. And what now for John Delaney? We know about UEFA. Will he stay with them? Well, that's, I believe, his, um, what he wants to happen. You know, okay. he, was, he wore his UEFA jacket in. He did, Europe, he as, did. As Wednesday, and <laughs> I was struck by how the warm welcome he got from so many TDs, you know, despite the controversy, he was shaking hands, sharing winks, back slaps, and all the rest of it. He was saved with UEFA. That's still a, you know, it's a €160,000 uh, per year payment for that alone top of expenses um, but we saw with the German FAI boss has to resign from the German FA and then he was gone from UEFA a week later it, that would be a matter for UEFA then to decide if, if, if John Delaney stays in that position Okay and very finally will the the FAI do they now have a lot of work to do to rebuild trust and confidence? Oh huge yeah like the amount of I've had hundreds of people contacting me with stories about and unhappiness about the way FAI run things League of Ireland clubs can't even get transparency on how much uh, electricity they're paying in terms of sponsorship of the league. So there the really needs to be, like, as Fergus Dowd has called for regime change. I think there's a like, huge desire for that. And, you know, if, 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 hopefully this could, be a, this could be a dawn, a new dawn for Irish football. And, a new, you know, if they run things in a transparent manner, I think, you know, it could be a great year for Irish football to, to, to bring things forward and, you know, help it catch up. Because it has um, fallen behind the rugby and GAA in the last number of years in terms of performance financially and in terms of you know how how, how the teams are performing as well. So yeah, I think th- this could be a great opportunity for the football association. That's what I see it. Okay, and once again, well done, uh, Mark. Great, great journalism. Uh, congratulations to you on it, and thank you for joining us on the program today. Uh, good afternoon to you. That is uh, Mark Ty who joins us from the Sunday Times. 1850-333-103. A very quick break and we're back chatting with Annalise Drussell, the Health Hub, Times Square in Balancholic, answering all of your nutritional questions. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub, Times Square, Balancholic, joining us. Good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon, uh, And you're very welcome. Let me get straight in because lots of questions. Uh, um, uh, Frank says, hi, Annalise. I'm waiting for tests to confirm that I've got helicopter. What would Annalise suggest I do in the meantime? Okay, so helicobacter pylori is a bacteria that often lives in our stomachs. In actual fact, about 80% of the world's population, Patricia, has helicobacter pylori. But what can happen is that it can cause ulcers. When they reach certain numbers, they affect the mucus-producing cells. And if you don't produce enough mucus to give your stomach a nice thick lining, then the acid, once released when you're eating, will start burning the lining of the stomach. So that's the main danger, really, with Helicobacter pylori. So the best treatment, to be honest, is the antibiotic therapy. It's pretty heavy-duty stuff. And there's three antibiotics that you have to take and they're very rough on the system. So, to be honest, there's very little else that can uh, that is as, as um, good to get rid of the H. pylori as the antibiotics. So you're better off waiting until you have that treatment. But once you start it, I think to minimise the, the horrible sickness that you'll feel while you're on the antibiotics, it would be good to take a very high-strength probiotic. 
So you're looking for something with tens of billions of, ba- of the good bacteria in there. And if you take that a couple of times a day in between taking the antibiotic, it'll minimise that awful, horrible uh, reaction. Would it be worth Frank? Would it be worth Frank starting to take it, or is he better off waiting until he goes on the antibiotic? You know what? It won't make any difference. No. The antibiotics okay. are going to kill all the good bacteria. Yeah, regardless. Once you start yeah. Taking them anyway, but it definitely just means that it's a little bit less rough on your system because they're very heavy duty yeah. antibiotics and definitely afterwards it's very important to continue them for at least four weeks possibly not as high strength um you know you you get away with the cheaper one that's maybe 10 or 20 billion good bacteria biocult is a nice all-rounder so that would be a good one to take after the antibiotic therapy okay. and um if there's any sort of ulceration in the stomach it's very good to take slippery M because that will help protect the stomach and also will help heal the ulcers. Yeah, because Mary actually has a separate question but it's to do with she's suffering with, um, I think it's Judema ulcer? An yeah, ulcer so now. they would be ulcers further down in the duodenum. Um, what would you suggest? So, yeah. Well, there's, there's, I suppose, it's all about, I suppose, figuring out what has caused the ulcer in the first place, Patricia. Like, medication is a big cause of it. You know, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen and the other ones that you might take for an injury. Um, So if you can try and remove the cause, sometimes people suffer from food intolerances. They might be fully allergic to a food, but intolerant. And over time, the inflammation in 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 the stomach and the gut, the colon and the duodenum will cause ulcers. So in terms of treatment, again, the slippery elm is absolutely wonderful. And I love the BioCare one uh, because there's other things in it like gamma arisinol and um, marshmallow. And they're they're wonderful for healing ulcers. Gum mastic is another typical one that you'd use for ulcers as well. You'll get these in any health shop. Um, And... If you if you do have a lot of pain and a lot of burning, try and avoid taking any of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories for it. Um, even aspirin is, is rough enough on the duodenum in terms of ulcers. So maybe switch to Panadol if you need something for pain management. Noreen, in Waterfall, B-complex, are they good for combating tiredness or what would you recommend for combating tiredness? Also, flaxseed. Is flaxseed good for you? What does it actually do for you? Okay, so a B-complex is a great one for tiredness. And the B vitamins are very important uh, for the energy pathways in the mitochondria, but also very important for nervous system function. So it's a great all rounder. (coughs) Sorry, excuse me, Patricia. If you don't um, eat a lot of green leafy vegetables and if you don't eat whole grains, you might be deficient in B vitamins. And especially B12, which you can only get from animal sources. So if you're a vegetarian, that would be another one that you could be very deficient in. So taking one of those as the first port of call, B12 is important to make the blood cells, as is iron. So if you're really tired, maybe do one with iron in it as well, just to give yourself a real tonic. And oh. then the flaxseed. Yeah. So flaxseed is, or linseed is also called, they have a number of, I suppose, health benefits. The first one is that they're a very good source of fibre. The second thing is that they're a very good source of the omega-3 fats, which are beautiful natural anti-inflammatories. They're great for the skin great for the fatty tissue of the nervous system and the brain. Um, And because they're natural anti-inflammatories, they're great for preventing inflammation in joints. Now, the only thing is, is that you cannot digest the outer husk of the flaxseed. So if you want to get into the nutrition on the inside and the omega-3s, it has to be ground. So either you buy it ground or you grind it yourself. 
But if you take them whole, they really only just swell up in your bowel. They'll take a lot of water, so make sure you drink a lot. And then they can act as a good fibre to help keep you regular. But if you don't drink the water, they might have the opposite effect because they'll draw all the water in and they can end up impacting and constipating. Uh, be careful. Uh, question for Annalise, please. What does Annalise think of taking Cardio K and Xerocol together? Uh, would they give a better reduction for cholesterol? I'm presently taking one Cardio K a day. So these are both products, Patricia, from the health store that you can take to bring your cholesterol down. But they work in different ways. So the zero call is something called a plant sterol. And it looks to the body like cholesterol. So it fools the body into thinking that you've got enough cholesterol so the liver stops making it. However, it doesn't work in the same way as our own cholesterol by clogging up arteries. So basically, it's a way of fooling the body to stop producing cholesterol. And that's the kind of thing you'll also get in the fluoroproactives and the benacols. And taking something like Xerocol can help reduce your cholesterol by up to 17% and can be very effective when it works. The cardio K then works in a different way. Chemically, it has the same effect as the statin drug. But because it comes from a natural source called red rice yeast, it tends to be better tolerated than the synthetically pharmaceutical produced statins. So people who might have had side effects, bad side effects from taking a statin can often take the cardio K and they don't get the same aches and pains or loss of memory or the same exhaustion feeling. So um, either are, are good for helping managing cholesterol. I wouldn't advise taking them together because then if you, if you do, how are you going to know which one is working? Mm. So I would always say try one thing for three months, go back and get checked, um, get your cholesterol rechecked again. And then if you want to try the other one, stop taking the first one and try the second and go back again after three months and have it checked. But I don't think that you need to take both of them. Okay, and as you say, you, you, you won't know which, which, which one is actually working for you. Okay, some of your texts coming in uh, for you. Hi, Annalise. Uh, what would you suggest to cure sour burps and a gurgling tummy? I had an anaesthetic four weeks ago and I'm wondering, could it be related? It's very embarrassing when in company, thanking you. Okay, well, sour burps, burps sounds to me, uh, Patricia, like it's kind of acidy. So it could be, and I, I think after anaesthetics, anaesthetics actually have a very heavy impact on the body. Um, they definitely would affect the gut bacteria. Um, they're a very heavy chemical, so it, it could affect the whole digestive system and bowel. So taking a probiotic, I think, for this person would definitely be a, a, a first, the first port of call. Um, but other side effects, actually, of anti, uh, um, the anaesthetics that I've seen, Patricia, are very low mood. Uh, very low energy. People take a long time to come around after a general anaesthetic. So if that's how you feel after surgery, it's quite normal and it will work its way out of your system. In the meantime, something like the B-complex, I think, can can definitely help. And a vitamin C, of course, for the liver is always great. But for this lady, um, the sour burp sounds to me like a bit of acid. So maybe a month of slippery elm uh, to just sort of counteract that acidy feeling and definitely a probiotic, something like BioCulture, OptiBac have a daily probiotic. Udo's is another good op- um, a, a good option that you'll find in a health shop. And just take a month a month supply of one of uh, one of those three uh, probiotics, and you should be sorted. Okay, good luck with that. Um, what's good for heartburn? I've been trying to narrow down the cause. I think it's coffee, but my problem is I can't live without coffee. Mm, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, I know it, and the cup of tea is the same, Patricia. There's, there's two reasons that coffee and tea will, will burn. 
The first is the caffeine. Caffeine will weaken that little sphincter muscle that's at the top of the stomach. So it allows it to open and then you get the acid coming up. So that's why you feel a bit acidy from that. The second thing is that actually tea and coffee are quite acidic in of themselves. So taking them, especially on an empty stomach in the morning, could give you an acid burn. So again, back to the slippery elm. Um, that's a nice one to take uh, for any sort of uh, heartburn or acid. The way that it works, it actually comes from the bark of a tree and it's kind of a mucilage. So it sort of coats the whole esophagus and stomach with this nice thick mucusy uh, mucilage and it's a very healing protective effect. So you could try something like that. The other thing I like as well, Patricia, is a product called Zinc Carnosin, C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N, Zinc Carnosin. And it helps to tighten up that little sphincter muscle at the top. So again, it'll help the acid from leaking up. And maybe you could try decaf. That could be another option. So maybe just by cutting out the caffeine, that'll help with the weakening. Pat says, hi, could you ask Annalise if there is a supplement to take to help weight loss with exercise? Also, how long does it take for Xerocol to reduce cholesterol? I'm into my second month. So weight loss supplement, Patricia, if I only had the answer, I'd be a very woman. So some of them will give you a slightly better edge, especially if you're exercising. So these ones are ones that help you preferentially burn fat as a fuel. And they would be things like green coffee extract, green tea extract, something called Garcinia cambogia. Also, there's some research being done on the, ra- the ketone bodies. So you can get raspberry ketones as a natural health supplement. And something else called CLA, conjugated linoleic acid. So a lot of the weight loss products will help increase your metabolism and your fat burning if you're doing exercise and they might be a combination of some or all of those so ask in the health shop but you know what Patricia you'll only get limited results from those I mean if they gave you a 5% edge I would think would be a, you know would be a good well. result well he is yeah, saying with ex- so, Pat, I don't know if Pat's male or female uh, is saying with exercise so Pat's going down the right route yeah. Absolutely. And the, and the other thing is that there's absolutely no point taking those supplements unless you're doing the exercise yeah, because yeah. they'll only increase your fat burning if, you're, if you need to in, you know, increase your energy output. So, and that's not going to happen if you're sitting on a couch. Um, and the other thing as well, I suppose, is diet, Patricia. No matter how much exercise you do after a certain age, it actually comes down to cutting down your food. Yeah. There is just, it just, you just can't do it um, after a certain age. You can't lose the weight without cutting down on portions. Less calories. Move away calories. from the table. It's my, my advice Absolutely. to everybody. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so... The other question... Yeah. Sorry, Patricia, the other question he had was how long does he need to take Oh, yes, sorry, yeah. And I always think three months is enough. If it's not working after three months, it's not going to work. Okay, so he's into, into the second month. Okay, this... I can I can put two questions together here. Um, Teresa says, Annalise, please, I have swelling on two of my fingers. It can be a bit sore if I hit it off something. Is it arthritis and what can I take for inflammation? Also, what's good for fingernails as they're brittle at the moment? And then another question says, I have arthritis and I've been told turmeric and apple cider vinegar is good. Uh, Would um, Annalise agree? So I put the two, they're arthritis questions together. Yeah, well, I mean, swelling on the fingers, unless it's been an injury, definitely sounds to me like it's the beginning of arthritis around the knuckles. So, um, and especially as well they'll affect the fingers that you tend to use a lot so it might be around the writing area of the finger if you do a lot of writing and it's be worse on the hand that you use more for you know cutting vegetables and chopping and cooking and the one you use the most 
Um, apple cider vinegar and turmeric can both help with arthritis. Apple cider vinegar, you know, there's lots of different health claims for that. But it does have the effect of kind of alkalizing your body, even though it's an acidic thing, it's vinegar. But it actually alkalizes the body and that can help manage inflammation. But the thing is, Patricia, is that if it gives you any sort of a burn or pain, it's not suitable for you to take. So I would have people who come into the shop and they take the apple cider vinegar and they get terrible heartburn. That's actually doing damage, so it's not doing your body any good. Um, If you want to take it, I would advise putting a tablespoon into a large glass of water and sipping it slowly after eating breakfast so that you don't um, burn your stomach lining. Um, and then the turmeric, I mean, you need to be taking quite a lot of turmeric to get a very strong anti-inflammatory effect. But I always include it when I'm cooking soups or stews or if I'm cooking rice, I put it in with that. I kind of throw a teaspoon in with everything. You can always make something as well called golden milk. And that's a combination of um, turmeric, the powder, um, or the gra- you can grate up the root of it as well, Patricia. That's obviously the best way if you can get the fresh root. Mix it with a little bit of black pepper because black pepper helps to improve the absorption of the active components of the turmeric. So a little um, bit of black pepper with that. If you put in a bit of coconut oil or olive oil or any kind of an oil too, Patricia, because it gets absorbed better by the body when there's fat there as well. And you can mix it in with almond milk or cow's milk and maybe a little bit of honey and a grate of ginger. And that's a really powerful natural anti-inflammatory drink to have. Okay, I'm conscious of the time. I've got about a minute uh, left. Let me get a quick question. Does Annalise still believe in glucosamine? Yeah, the glucosamine, Patricia, it's been used for too long, um, you know, and with too many people saying that it works brilliantly for them uh, to say that it doesn't work. It doesn't work for everybody. It can take about six months to build up to the levels where you need to have any type of effect. And for some people, it's rough on the stomach. So I'd suggest trying it. And if it works very well and good, and after six months, if it's not working, it's not going to work. Okay, that's it. All right, we leave it there. Annalise, thank you for that. Um, Thanks, um, we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, we won't talk next week because it's Easter Monday. We'll talk the week after. Thanks. All right, thanks yes, a million. Thanks thank for joining you, us. That is uh, Annalise uh, Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. Back with us Monday uh, week. Okay, that's where we wrap it up for uh, today. Uh, my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing and once again the very best of luck to John Paul tonight he's MC for the County Mayor Awards and can I wish the very best of luck and say congratulations to everyone who has been uh, nominated they are winners just by being uh, nominated it's a terrific uh, award so uh, enjoy everyone that's going along we hope they have a wonderful wonderful night Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 onto the 9 Petition Messenger very good afternoon Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 